Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about a big time crackdown on illegal immigration by the Trump administration, colleges teaching America that liberalism needs an enemy. This is a really good scoop. I want to be sure you listen to that. And the last one is talking truth about America's prosperity. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to my first five. The Trump administration, in addition to all the other things we talked about in terms of trying to get funding for the wall and working toward border security, has taken three steps in this week that are going to be significant in terms of cracking down on illegal immigration. I want to tell you what they are first, and then second, tell you why they really matter. Uh, the first one is that in America, we have a large number of visa overstayers. People who come here legally have a visa to be here, but then don't leave, which is a set amount of time you can be here. Then they don't leave when the visa expires. We have something in the realm of 415,000 people in America suspected of overstaying their short-term visas just in one year, in fiscal year 2018. So the Trump administration is will be signing a memorandum essentially recommending that the severe sanctions of countries with high rates of visa overstays in the U.S. The obvious problem is if the person's engaging in visa overstaying, we can't find them. They don't report and say, hey, by the way, my visa ran out. So President Trump is pointing out we do have access to the information in our system that says they checked in here, the visa ended X date, they're from whatever country it is, we are going to punish the country because it's the only entity they have to and then in turn crack down their own citizens. So cracking down on visa overstayers um, and is pointed out by the Trump administration um, that this is an issue of national security, public safety, and economic security. Many of these people engaging in long-term visa overstays are accessing a variety of the uh, government assistance programs in our country, welfare benefits of various kinds. And um, they are just, it is a, it's a simple step, uh, isn't in place yet, but the Trump administration is saying, we're going to get more and more serious or seriouser about the idea that you have to have a legal right to be here if you're in country. Second thing Trump administration is doing is moving to crack down on illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants living in public housing. This has some great, not only teeth to it, but consequence to individual Americans, innocent Americans hurt by this practice of having illegal immigrants living in publicly funded housing, HUD housing. So apparently we have something in the range of 32,000 illegal immigrant-led families who are getting public um, housing assistance, and yet hundreds of thousands of Americans on waiting lists, some families with uh, dealing with a very challenging disability, those families on waiting lists, while families of illegal immigrants are living in our HUD housing. Several things built into the law prior to uh, Trump's uh, arrival on the scene have made this more complicated and actually made it also more necessary. There were Clinton-era regulations that allowed illegal immigrants to sign up for assistance 
without having to disclose their immigration status. So obviously, if you don't ask them, you don't even know whether people are sign who are signing up um, are illegal immigrants or not. Under the new rules, not only would the leaseholder using the public housing have to be an eligible U.S. person, but the government would actually begin to use to check that person's status against a database system, the Systematic Alien Verification for Entitlements, also known as SAVE, Systematic Alien Verification for Entitlements, SAVE database, check on that. Also, there was, is in place right now, um, a ruling that the um, only one person in the household had could be a legal citizen and everybody else then in the household can be an illegal alien. What Trump is gonna turn it to saying is, everyone in the house has to have a legal right to be here. And you, you can imagine how the chicanery uh, that would be involved if the rule remained as it was. You find one person who is legally here and then the house filled with illegal aliens who don't have a right to be here. And so you have the kind of, the, it's kind of like an anchor baby analogy, an anchor citizen then making it possible for people to fill the house who are all, who are illegal aliens. Um, there's also uh, a lot of talk about uh, public benefits flowing to illegal immigrants and polling showing the American people are turning against that. So no, we don't actually need to have public monies flowing toward illegal aliens. Uh, there was, I mean, there just, it goes on and on and on. Um, uh, yeah, the, there was a Clinton era rule, actually, not Obama era, Clinton era rule that said a mixed immigration status family could live in public housing. All of this to say that these new proposals under HUD are, of course, uh, angering the uh, immigrant um, activist uh, groups in this country, groups who are, are advocating behalf of illegal immigrants or legal immigrants. And basically, um, so they're going to be getting some pushback about this, but it is the same thing that is faced in many other contexts. Does it matter if you have legal status to be here or not? Do we just abandon the notion that citizenship exists? It's a status. Other legal statuses exist. You have to be in one of them in order to be here, and also you have to be in one of them to um, to get access to benefits. And again, the numbers, I think I had them here, uh, but how many people? There are about 50, uh, no, that's not the right number. There was a large number of people um, uh, Americans waiting for public housing, and the point is, we should they should get access to it first um, instead of having uh, illegal aliens. So, second effort that the Trump administration is undertaking to correct the problem of lawlessness in this country. Third and most controversial, I'll come back to it another time. We're going to have a guest in the show to talk about it. But Attorney General Barr announced a uh, policy, in, and he talked about it in Congress, which is essentially ordering that asylum-seeking migrants, so people coming up to the southern border and asking for asylum, wanting asylum, Attorney General Barr has announced that he is going to have a new policy that says these people seeking asylum cannot be told by a judge, once they've made their presentation, their asylum request, they cannot be granted parole or a bond, meaning they have to stay in detention until their asylum status is de determined by a judge. And there is the asylum process, the judging, uh, the judges in those cases, they have a huge backlog, a huge backlog of cases. They have, and during the shutdown, they had those cases were not moving forward. Those judges were considered non-essential. 
So you have a backlog of cases, and what the, in the past has occurred is that uh, under Obama administration especially was to simply to say, catch and release, you know, you made your pitch, go ahead, you can, you know, you can leave the uh, detention facility, and then when it's time to have your case determined, you can come back and hear the result. And, and the point made by many conservatives is, of course, m- most of them don't come back. This uh, new rule Attorney General Barr is proposing about asylum seekers would essentially uh, end the uh, practice of having these judges um, give these people a bond. If they could post a bond, they get to leave um, and say, no, they actually just have to remain in detention. That has raised the ire of many um, immigrant activist groups. In fact, one of the uh, immigrant activist groups characterized this as heartless punishments against vulnerable people because they're describing it as Attorney General Barr's assembly, essentially enabling, de, um, detaining them indefinitely. And the truth is, it's not indefinite. It might be a long time, and you may not know how long it will be, but it's not the case. You'll be there forever. They're trying to create the impression that these people will just sit in, in the detention centers forever. I want to make this point about uh, the arguments. These are from n- numerous uh, immigrant activist groups saying that it is crazy, that it is wrong, it's immoral, it's heartless punishment for our system, our asylum system, to say, until your asylum status is resolved, uh, you have to remain um, in custody. But I want to make two quick points about that and then close out this first five. Number one is the way these immigrant activist groups characterize this new idea. It has an unspoken assumption that many, many people who come here and make asylum, um, make claim for asylum, um, are genuinely meet, are going to meet the standards of asylum. That there are many genuine asylum seekers. There are many people who meet that. In our asylum law, we've gone many times in the show, but our asylum law is very specific. What standards you have to meet, and all of the people complaining about this new policy are essentially implying that you know uh, this is this is heartless. These are these poor people are coming here and they are. Uh, and they, they have already made their claim for asylum, and it's heartless to make them wait it out. They're assuming the goodwill, the good faith, the integrity of all asylum seekers. The simple fact is that many asylum seekers coming to America's southern border have been trained and taught by immigrant activists what to say to try to say the right trigger words, the right arguments, the right sentences, the right statements, so that they will be considered potentially eligible for asylum. These are people who have been trained what to say to get asylum granted. It is not what the asylum laws were intended to be. The asylum laws were intended to apply to people truly seeking, uh, escaping repression, and truly in fear for their lives if they were to return to their host country. That is not true of a, of a wide majority of people, vast majority of people making asylum claims at the southern border. Much of the, many of those asylum claims simply boil down to economic hardship, to poverty, which is a horrible thing, but it doesn't meet our asylum standards. So the two points are number one, many asylum seekers are making claims based on language they've been taught and trained to say they don't actually meet our asylum standards when you look at the facts of the case. And number two, this, along with the other two items I mentioned a moment ago, are the way that America can say to the world, to the uh, middle of the Latin American countries, to Mexico, the, the Latin American countries, South American countries, America is actually going to enforce our border again. 
America is actually going to have secure borders and enforcement of our laws, a decision based on the facts of each case. And you cannot just show up in this country with your rehearsed statement trained, given to you by somebody else and think that somehow you will get asylum here. It's America sending a message. We are reasserting our border security. We are reasserting our citizenship laws, our asylum laws, and you can't play games with them anymore. That, my friends, is my first five. Turning to the next topic, you know, we talk a lot in the show about colleges and how, uh, you know, we have a problem on college campuses in a variety of ways because we have leftism taught in the from the highest level of the administrations, um, you know, down to the everyday, from the administration to the faculty. I mean, the, the liberal view on everything uh, is the mainstream norm on college campuses. It's also become a mainstream and, and a normative acceptable thing on college campuses to silence conservatives, to force out possible speakers who come to campuses to speak, to make it impossible for them to make their presentation, Colleges will not, uh, have not in the past been willing to punish protesters. If protesters shut down speech, the college campuses claiming they are going to do, to take action to protect the safety of their students, choose the path to protect the safety of their students of saying, well, we better not have that speaker come. They're too controversial. We have lost free speech on our campuses. We've especially lost free speech on our campuses uh, against conservatives. And the colleges have lost control of their behavior standards for their students. Colleges act like they can't figure out what it is they do when they have student mobs misbehaving, student mobs preventing speech. Well, there is a great case. I have like three or four cases to tell you, but it's all related to the concept uh, we need to re reassert the place of the public discourse and, and within, on college campuses. The First Amendment right to, to, to discourse, uh, the exchange of ideas, the listening to each other, the willingness of colleges to permit people of all backgrounds and views their opportunity to have them heard, and the need to reinstate the idea in the student body that you don't get to shut down speakers just because you don't like them. So, University of Arizona, Amazing case going on. What happened at the University of Arizona is there was a career day. And of all groups that came to career day, I think a great possible employer for some of them, on career day was a presentation by Border Patrol agents presenting the idea to these University of Arizona students, this could be a great place. Maybe you want to come work for Border Patrol. Well, there was a major, major uh, crisis on that campus, a, a big um, uproar. Uh, the students disrupted the Border Patrol people. They finally couldn't give their speech, their little presentation on, on campus career day um, because they, the student body disrupted them. And normally what happens when these disruptions occur is that colleges, uh, you know, they issue some apology. They say, well, it wasn't too great. We probably shouldn't have done And nothing happens. Not so University of Arizona. They decided, all that ever happens, these colleges normally do, is either say nothing or tell the students, you know, you really shouldn't have done that. Let us, let us talk to you again about how to act. University of Arizona instead, the campus police filed criminal misdemeanor charges against the students who disrupted the Border Patrol presentation. And the charge is called, described as, interference with the peaceful conduct of an educational institution. 
They filed these charges against three disruptors and the leader of the shutdown was also charged with threats and intimidation. On top of that, the University of Arizona president, Robert Robbins, backed up the campus police. He said, yeah, as a matter of fact, they are right. We're going to have charges filed. So uh, he said, student protest, this is the college president speaking, student protest is protected, disruption is not. So it is an astonishing thing that what happened in Arizona um, has a, uh, there are actually now provisions in Arizona law about discipline of those who engage in shout downs. They call them shout downs, where they simply shout down a speaker. What is the most amazing thing is this criminal case against the disrupting students actually proceeds in court. This is a public university. The disruption, the, the charges related to their disrupting proceeds in court. And so on this new Arizona law, there is going to be a disciplinary process by the college and an administrative investigation of the incident. But the reason I want to share with you today is this. Almost no matter how it comes out, the audacity level among students and left-wingers in this country is still mind-blowing. So they disrupted the Border Patrol giving a presentation on career day. They got told you can't do that. They caused the, the career day, the Border Patrol presentation to be shut down. These leftist students and approximately 100 professors filed a demand with the University of Arizona demanding that, one, all charges against the disruptors, whether criminal or within the university, be dropped. Two, that agents of ICE and the Border Patrol be permanently banned from campus. And three, if the first two demands were not met, that the president of the university resign. I want you to think about the level of audacity represented by that list of demands. You all know, um, adults in this country know, when you were in college, when you were in life, if you went to a political speech, you went to some event on campus, you went to all sorts of events in life, you understand you don't have the right to shout down other people you don't agree with. These college students and frankly, and shockingly, a hundred professors do not understand that. They do not think that anyone who, with whom they disagree has the right to speak. So they are trying to demand the president of the university finally standing up against disruptors, either you know drop all charges, uh, ban the uh, border patrol or ICE from ever coming on campus again. So they're banning speakers. They are they are banning anyone coming they don't like. And the president, they say, should have to resign if he won't do these things. I'm telling you, folks. I'm so proud of the University of Arizona. So proud that so far they're standing strong. And I, and I just want to have it sink in again the level of audacity reflected by the decision of these students that instead of being embarrassed that they behaved like six-year-olds that they thought they had the right to shut down other people because they don't like what they say no comprehension of what that does to freedom of speech in a country by the students or by the professors and they're still audaciously demanding that they, that their bad actions have no consequence. In fact, the university backed down and not let someone come there that they don't like. Truly, folks, a great day for free speech if University of Arizona stands strong. 
another truly amazing thing happening. You might remember the college, Middlebury College. It's a pretty prestigious, it's not an Ivy League, but a pretty prestigious college back, I think it's in Vermont. Yeah, Vermont. And um, they had invited a person to speak. Um, this, this speaker, by the way, is a Polish philosopher named Ryzard Legutko, L-E-G-U-T-K-O. Poland knows a little bit about repression. This guy was the editor of Solidarity's official Journal of Philosophy, and, uh, he, and, and you know Poland overcame communism. And since that time, he has served at the highest levels of Polish government. He's the author um, of um, a book called The Demon in Democracy, Totalitarian Temptations in Free Societies. So he's an intellect. They're bringing him in from Poland to speak at, the, at, at uh, Middlebury College. Well, this guy of all things is speaking against communism and in favor of freedom. And he's speaking in favor of free speech and against repression. So naturally, the left-wingers at Middlebury College wanted to shut down his speech, want to say he shouldn't be allowed to come. They made such a fuss that originally Middlebury ended up saying he couldn't come. Actually, there are several st steps to this story. First, what happened was they said he couldn't come. Then they had a liberal professor on the campus say he would allow this guy, Legutko, to appear stealthily, like under cover of darkness, in secret, in his class, if the students approved on a secret ballot to let him come. So I want to tell you two follow-ups from that astonishing thing. One is what the Middlebury College said about the reasons why they were going to stop Legutko from coming to campus. You have, to, you have to hear this to believe it. Middlebury and other colleges will sometimes say, well, we can't let conservatives come here because we have a threat of violence to protect our students who are the ones threatening violence or students who are threatening violence against other students who might have wanted to hear the speaker to protect against violence because we can't guarantee the safety of the speaker. We'll have to cut this down. We'll have to uh, cut this speaker out. We'll have to drop him. Or we can't guarantee the, the safety on the campus of the students because we think there could be an uproar. So they side with those silencing speech against those wanting free speech. But Middlebury took it one step further, simply mind-blowing. Middlebury's letter explaining why Legutko couldn't come said, they, they said, you know, our assessment of potential safety risk of the planned lecture did not reflect concerns about threats from student protesters or students attending the event. Please listen to this next line. Rather, we were concerned about the safety of the participants. Students have reported concerns about potential retribution by faculty whose position on the event may have differed from their own. Middlebury has students telling the administration, I want to hear this speaker come, but I can't say I want to hear him come because my other professors in other departments who don't like free speech, who don't want to hear some guy coming to talk about communism versus freedom and free speech versus tyranny, other professors will take it out on me. They actually talked about being worried. They reported being called out in class and over email by faculty and other students if they took a public position about whether they want this planned speaker to come.
you have the alleged grown-ups at Middlebury College, faculty professors harassing students about whether they want to hear a particular speaker come to the campus. You talk about people who are back in the tyrannical censorship, communist style thinking in this country. These are college professors at Middlebury who bother, harass, and threaten their own students if they want to support another speaker at the campus that they, the particular faculty person, don't like. Again, please let this sink in. If anything on the planet was supposed to represent the forefront of the exchange of ideas, of free speech, of robust debate of ideas, of the listening and engaging back and forth about ideas, it used to be universities and college campuses. You now have Middlebury faculty being the ones students point to to say, well, I really kind of wanted to hear this Polish guy who bravely fought against communism in Poland who's going to come and talk about freedom and tyranny, but I don't dare say it because my tyrannical professor in some other department will punish me or harass me. And so Middlebury, you know, I mean, I think the answer was, and it goes back to why that one professor said, let's take a vote in this class who wants him to come, an anonymous vote, because he was probably hoping to get a 5-4 or something where he could, where the students wouldn't have, wouldn't be obvious to other professors the that you know which way that student had voted because they were hoping five for who knew but all the students wanted the professor the, the speaker to come so they all had no cover i actually don't know the end of the story yet whether lagutko guy is going to get to come or not but i beg you to think about the consequence of that story and the last thing on free speech on college campuses and it ties into what college campuses are teaching america about the american left the profound and utter intolerance of the American left for anyone who will not agree with them and, and teaching America how the left keeps their mindless base worked up into a mindless lather perpetually. This is a great little clip I'm going to read. This was actually a review of a book. This one professor, Adrian Vermeule, I believe it is, V-E-R-M-E-U-L-E, -E -E, published a brilliant review. No, he's the one who wrote the review of a book, First Things, uh, and he talked about um, uh, the, the liturgy of liberalism. This is his uh, description, the summary of the book. Liberalism needs an enemy to maintain its sacramental, as in it is a sacrament to the left, sacramental dynamism. It can never rest in calm waters, basking in the day of victory. It is essential that at any given moment there should be a new battle to be fought. The good liberal should always be able to say, we've made progress, but there's still much to do. This is why the triumph of same-sex marriage actually happened too suddenly and too completely from the view of the left. So something else was needed to animate liberalism. And transgenderism has quickly filled that gap, defining new forces of reaction and thus enabling new iterations and celebrations of the festival of leftism. And if endorsement and approval of self-described gender identity becomes a widely shared legal and social norm, 
a new frontier will be opened, outlandish and is guaranteed to provoke fresh opposition from the cruel forces of reaction. Maybe, he, he hypothecates, maybe polygamy or mandatory vegetarianism. And I raise all this to say, this is a profoundly thought-provoking topic. And it's really vital when you look at the American political scene and recognize liberalism is entirely created, entirely propped up. And by liberalism, I hate to ruin what used to be such a good word, radical anti-American leftism, or also known as socialism, also known as progressivism, and also in this conduct, being, in this context, being referred to as liberalism, is this idea that the, the anti-American left keeps their base lathered up into an out, outraged frenzy day after day, week after week, month after month, by endlessly, and year after year, endlessly finding a new source of offense, a new source of outrage, a new victim, a new victim class, a new bad guy to point to, although it's not usually new a bad guy. The bad guy is always America, goodness. The bad guy is always something in, the, um, uh, in America that is to be pointed to as the repressor. So the liberal thought in this country, liberal movement in this country, and again, it's anti-American leftism, radical anti-American leftism, which is a synonym for socialism, a synonym for communism, a synonym for liberalism, and a synonym for the Democrat Party today, has as its agenda to keep Americans perpetually lathered up into a frothing ball of outrage and anger. And they've always got to find a new cause. They, the same-sex marriage cause, it caused millions of Americans to be alienated against each other. That seems to be have been resolved by the Supreme Court. But whatever the new issue is, is transgenderism now, it's going to be gender identity. It will never end because, as this person so eloquently says in the first line of this book review, liberalism needs an enemy to maintain its sacramental dynamism. That, my friends, is modern-day Democrat Party. I want to encourage you to read the content of these articles I'm mentioning. So if you go to americacanwetalk.org and on the homepage under the word shows, tab shows across the top, go down, it has list of links. And in the list of links, I don't have it up yet today, but I will in a couple hours when I get home. This, this article, the others I've read, because I really want you to think about what happens when students spend four years at a college like Middlebury, and there were this this article had several other unbelievably outrageous examples, but I just want to pick those few. What happens to them when they go out into the real world? What happens to them when they learn in college that if you're outraged, you can shout someone down, you can demand that someone who has a, an opinion different from theirs should never be allowed to speak, when their only means of engaging interaction with an idea that they don't think they like or they don't understand is to express outrage and plug their ears and go to their safe spaces, what's going to happen in the real world? The, the colleges engaging in this idiocy are doing no favors to the college students they presently have, their alumni who get out of college and can't even figure out how to function in the real world, and really doing no favors to this precious country, America. Because these kids 
do not know how to behave as adults. Great stories about college campuses in America. I urge you really to go to the website, find these links, read all of them. It will help you better discuss with your friends why it is so vital in this country, so vital to get control of the college campuses again, to get control of free speech, to insist that the wide range of political views in this country have adequate substantive representation on our college campuses. And last for today, you know, I spend so many, so much time talking with you about things that are of concern about America. I mean, I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for this great experiment in human liberty. America is still the beacon of freedom, of opportunity, of free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, all the freedoms guaranteed to us. America is the beacon to the world for these values, values sorely needed in many, many countries around the world. And the reason I do the show is because there are far too many people in America who don't recognize that this precious country, this astonishing demonstration of freedom and prosperity and abundance and a lifestyle unsurpassed in the Western world, unsurpassed in the world, all of that, it could be lost. People who think, like those Middlebury students and the 100 professors who signed that petition, if they were in charge of America, we would not have free speech. We would, they would be finding reasons that ideas that they don't like should never be allowed to be expressed. We have this precious country because we have fighters for the idea of America, and we have to realize how close we could be to losing America. I'm going to turn in a moment to something that was written by an, just an extraordinary author, a young woman uh, in Minnesota, which is a cause for hope and uh, op optimism in the world. But I want to stay on this college thing, just a couple more points about it. In America, college students leave campuses. For example, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez left her college Boston College, Boston University, I think, Boston University, with an economics degree and is a flamboyant, hysterical advocate for socialism, which has only throughout its sordid history in this world caused poverty, suffering, misery, and tyranny. Socialism breeds poverty, suffering, tyranny, and it's the worst of all for the, for the poorest among us. But socialism is popular. So I want to get to the idea about socialism and just kind of carrying forward this college campus idea. Everyone thinks America could never change. We think, but you know, yes, they have poverty in Venezuela and Cuba and China and North Korea, but you know, those countries are communists. We have freedom. America, as Ronald Reagan remind us, is only, freedom is only one generation away from extinction. Freedom is one generation away from extinction. Every generation. Venezuela was wealthy 20 years ago. The people are starving in the streets today. And the only reason is the failure of the Venezuelan people to recognize the threat of socialism. In America, we have college campus students, college students at major universities leaving college educated in only the, you know, bizarrest definition of that term, understanding that capitalism and freedom and free enterprise and free markets are somehow bad and socialism and communism are moral, morally virtuous missions to be sought out. 
those people, if they could run the country today, if they could put in charge the system they're advocating, could drive America to be Venezuela. There is no magic formula we have in America. There's no magic protection we have except the ideas that founded in America and the heart and soul and vigor and passion of the people of America to hold on to those ideas. There's no other bases, there's no other strength, there's no other roots of America's abundance and goodness and prosperity than the ideas that created America and the willingness of people in every generation to speak up about them. That's where we are in America today. That's why it's so serious to really challenge colleges who teach moral idiocy in terms of free speech, who teach economic lunacy in terms of advocating socialism and communism as morally superior to freedom and free markets. It is our job as adults in this country, educated and smart enough to recognize that freedom requires protection and defense in every generation. It's our job to be sure we, we preserve it in this generation. So now I want to turn to something. Uh, this is really my last little segment for the day, but uh, I came across actually one of my best friends from high school, uh, Valerie, who sometimes watches this show, uh, found this story and sent it to me or linked it to me so I could read it. Um, she doesn't live in Dallas, but we've been in touch since high school. So this is a story of a young woman, a story by a young woman, a column by a young woman who lives, I think, in Minnesota. She, I think she goes to college in Wisconsin, lives in Minnesota. But she writes a blog, and her blog is called Alpha, like A-L-P-H-A, Alpha News M-N from Minnesota, Alpha News M-N. She wrote a column this woman is wise beyond her years. I mean, she's really young. Uh, I'm not going to find her name. It's terrible. Uh, I, do, I will give you her name. I'll find her name, and I'll put it in the comment section later. But Because it's not on the printout of her article. But she wrote this piece. It is so moving, so intelligent, so beyond her precious young years. She's, she's a young, I think, early 20s. She's still in college, maybe. Anyway, very young girl. She said... I'm sitting, here's, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but truly this will, this will make your day. That there is a young woman in the radical leftist state of Minnesota who sent, you know, Ilhan Omar to Congress. There are still young people smart enough to write something like this. I'm, smid, I'm sitting in a small coffee shop near Nokemis, Nokomis, trying to think of what to write about. I scroll through my news feed on my phone, looking at the latest headlines of Democratic candidates calling for policies to fix the so-called injustices of capitalism. I put my phone down and continue to look around. I see people talking freely, working on their MacBooks, ordering food they get in an instant, seeing cars go by outside, and it dawned on me. We live in, a most, in the most privileged time, in the most prosperous nation, and we've become completely blind to it. Vehicles, food, technology, freedom to associate with whom we choose. These things are so ingrained in our American way of life, we don't give them a second thought. We're so well off here in the United States that our poverty line begins. Our poverty line begins 31 times above the global average. The poverty line in America begins 31 times the, um, the global average. Virtually no one in America is poor 
by global standards. Yet, in a time where we can order a product off Amazon with one click and have it at our doorstep the next day, we are unappreciative, unsatisfied, and ungrateful. Our unappreciation is evident as the popularity of socialist policies among my generation continues to grow. Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently said to Newsweek, and I meant to, I didn't tell you this quote in the show, but I, I heard at the time, unbelievable. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently said to Newsweek, talking about the millennial generation, an entire generation, which is now becoming one of the largest electorates in America, came of age and never saw American prosperity. A member of Congress, 435 people in the whole government, in the whole U.S. House, and she's one of them, claims that her generation has never seen prosperity. So I'll go back to this woman's uh, column. Never saw American prosperity. Let that sink in. When I first read that statement, I thought to myself, that was quite literally the most entitled and factually illiterate thing I have heard in my 26 years on the, this earth. Now, I'm not attributing Ocasio-Cortez's words to outright dishonesty. I do think she wholeheartedly believes the words she said to be true. Many young people agree with her, which is entirely misguided. My generation is being indoctrinated by a mainstream narrative to actually believe we have never seen prosperity. I know this firsthand. I went to college. Let's just say I didn't have the popular opinion, but I digress. I'm going to finish with something else she said in a moment, but I want to make one little pitch about this show. America Can We Talk is... You can go to the website, americachemitalk.org. I do this show without pay, have never been paid for my work on radio, my work on podcasts. If you like the messages you're hearing, if you like the truths that you're, truths that you're hearing, I urge you to consider donating to this show. On the homepage of americachemitalk.org, there's a donate button. That will enable me to more broadly spread this message, to spread this podcast, this show, my speaking to many more audiences through a marketing plan I would love to do, uh, but cannot at this moment. I have done all of my speaking on behalf of America, all of my advocacy, all of my radio shows, all my podcasts, simply out of love of America. And if you love the message I'm saying, you love what I'm telling you, and you want to spread it, I would urge and appreciate your considering donating to americakimmytalk.org. You can do a one-time donation, you can do a monthly donation, it would make all the difference to my ability to continue doing this show. Going back to our friend for the Minnesota blog, here's what she said, because she's speaking, you know, she's singing my song, she's saying what, I'm, what I think too. Let me lay down some universal truths really quick. The United States of America has lifted more people out of abject poverty, spread more freedom and democracy, and has created more innovation in technology and medicine than any other nation in human history. Not only that, but our citizenry continually breaks world records with charitable donations. The rags to riches story is not only possible in America, but not uncommon. We have the strongest purchasing power on earth 
and we encompass 25% of the world's GDP. The list goes on and on. However, these universal truths don't matter to the left. We are told that income inequality is an existential crisis, which it is not. And even though this is not an indicator of prosperity, because some of the poorest countries in the world have low income inequality, we're told that we are oppressed by capitalism, even though capitalism has brought more freedom and wealth to the most people than any other system in world history. And we're told that the only way we'll acquire the benefits of true prosperity is through socialization, socialism and centralization of federal power, even though history has proven time and again the, this only brings tyranny and suffering. I will also post a link to this beautiful piece. It is called um, Thoughts from a Hipster Coffee Shop. Brilliant writing by a young patriot American. And I'll close out the show by saying today, this is the kind of thing I would love to see millions of young people reading, more young people writing and speaking and saying and standing up for. This precious, extraordinary country we have only exists because of the rightness of the ideas of the founding which this young woman has figured out at the tender age of 26. I urge you, I urge, I do this show out of love of America, out of speaking up for the idea of America, out of wanting to encourage each and every one of us to engage in the American political conversation, advocating for liberty of the individual, advocating for freedom, advocating for the precious Historic, the founding ideas of our history, the precious ideas that created America, because we really are still the beacon of liberty to the world. The world needs us to be the America of our founding so they can see how to model, they can see how to replicate liberty and freedom in their own countries. Speak up for America because America matters. Can we talk truth about America? <laughs>